Almighty God, you alone are holy, pure, and just. You are glorious in all your attributes and actions. How amazing and good it is to dwell in the shelter of the Most High, to abide in the shadow of the Almighty. For you alone are our refuge and our shelter, in whom we are able to draw near with a true heart and with full assurance this morning. Not because of what we have done, for we bring only what is unholy to the table, what is impure, what is wicked. We come this morning acknowledging that we are sinners in action, attitude. Our hearts are so given to the glory of ourselves and of this creation. Our hearts desire and even enjoy and treasure so often the fading and empty promises of this age instead of basking in the great joy and glory of Jesus Christ. Most High, Great God, so water our hearts this morning by your Spirit that faith and repentance may spring up in the places of our doubt and dread and apathy. Grant us true, sincere, devoted hearts which long for you, which treasure you, which call out to you through prayer and regular communion. Bring us near, O Lord, I pray, that we may know and rest in your presence this morning and into the week to come. We ask these things in your Son's most blessed name. Amen. Amen. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. It was the hymn we just sang. The themes in that hymn um, keep coming back to me because I'm hearing them as I'm working through Hebrews, and I trust you are as well, hearing these. We have made a transition last week from the um, indicatives or the truths that the pastor here in the book of Hebrews is trying to lay out in chapters 1 through 10 up to verse 18. And then in verse 19, the transition is made into the practices, the application of what these truths are supposed to um, produce into the fruit that the, the, these truths are supposed to, supposed to um, um, bear out. And so this morning, I want you to notice here in verses 19 through 25, we're going to be in these passages for the next few weeks. I want you to notice that verses 19 through 22 is actually all one sentence. It says in verse 19, Therefore, brothers, 
speaking to the church, since we have confidence, the pastor is including himself in this passage, isn't it? He's saying, we, the pastor in this congregation, we have confidence. Since we have this confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. In other words, Christ is at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for us. He's on our behalf, standing there. And we, since we have confidence that he is there, that he's interceding for us, that we can go, and he has opened this way for us, this new and living way, through this curtain which is his flesh, or his body being broken on the cross for our sake. Then in verse 21 it says, secondly, since, not only since we have, uh, we're able to enter this holy place, but secondly, since, verse 21, we have a great high priest. This great high priest is over the house of God, which is the church, it says here, over the house of God. He then exhorts this congregation in three particular ways. Notice with me, verse 21, let us draw near. Verse 23, let us hold fast. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir, stir one another up. Now, that's not the outline this morning. <laughs> that's the outline for the next few weeks. Let us draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider how to stir one another up. Because of what Christ has done and what he has accomplished for us, since he is our high priest in the heavens, interceding for us, what does that cause us to do? It causes us to, in this pastor is saying, let us then draw near to God. Let us then hold fast our confession. And let us consider how to stir one another up. We're going to be on that outline for the next several weeks. And this morning I want to look just at verse 22 and consider this faith that he's challenging them to. Verse 22 says, let us draw near with a true heart and the full assurance of, what's that say? Faith. Faith. This idea of faith and hope that's in verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. And then love in verse 24. And then let us consider how to stir one another up to love. This hope and faith and love has been called the divine triad. It is the very thing that God is seeking to do in and through us. And it is the necessary and natural fruit of what grows out of a body of people who's being immersed in and informed by what we call the gospel. So when the gospel is active and alive in our hearts and lives, these things of faith and hope and love are being brought out and being displayed in our own hearts. These things are what's growing. If you notice, and if you've been listening, and many of you know, this is a regular prayer almost every Sunday morning in the pastor's prayer. Almost every Sunday morning somewhere in the service. I make a comment about how asking the Lord if he would grant us a stable and a firm faith. A great and abiding hope and a love for one another. What I found as I began studying these three things. Is that these three things, this faith, hope and love are in every one of the New Testament epistles. This is exactly what Paul calls for. If you read the very beginning of Colossians, for example, it is there within just a couple of verses. If you read in the first Thessalonians, it's there within a verse, just as you start reading the first five, I think, or verse three in first Thessalonians chapter one. 
this faith, hope, and love. As God is working the gospel in our hearts, he's going to, he's going to allow this fruit of faith, hope, and love to grow in us. I've been asked recently, and I've been asked in the past, my wife has been asked, doesn't Shane care about the church growing? I mean, he just seems like he would do more to get this thing. My heart, brothers and sisters, is that each one of us would indeed grow in faith in Jesus Christ, hope for heaven to come, and love for the saints that is, that is, that is so different than the love that the world displays. That we will be salt and light in this world. That we will care about the families that we play football with, or that we go to school with, or that we work with. And that we're seeking to be faithful, to raise our children and send them into the world to be this salt and life, this salt and light, to grow and foster hope in heaven, faith in Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and love for the church and His saints. That's the thing that grows. Now, um, I can turn knobs and push buttons and make all kinds of other things happen. That, honestly, the, the Baptist Convention and all others that are evaluating such things would think are great, wonderful markers of health. And I've learned, and you have, that they are false markers. They can be markers of health, but so often they're not the genuine markers of health. What Paul says in his word and what this Hebrews pastor is saying is that if the gospel is appropriated, if the gospel is understood, if Jesus Christ and him crucified, shedding his blood on our behalf is understood, it's not going to create all kinds of things that so often we think it creates, not only in our own heart and lives, but also in the lives of others. It's going to create a a faith in Jesus Christ, a love for the saints, a hope in heaven. Now, out of that, there's going to be all kinds of things that happen, isn't it? I mean, there's going to be, there's going to be a, a, a things that will be happening out of that. But let's focus on the fruit that God says he wants us to, to focus on. Can I push a button or turn a knob and make that happen in your life? No. There's nothing else that can produce a faith, a hope, and a love except for the gospel. The preaching and communicating and appropriating and displaying the gospel, that is what produces those three things. And nothing else that I know of can. And so that's why we're here. That's why we read the Word of God. That's why we pray like we do. We're seeking to have the gospel to so affect and inform our hearts that faith and hope and love are the aims, the ambitions of our, of our lives. That's what this pastor's after. That's what this pastor's wanting. Now, later in chapter 13, he gets extremely practical about um, showing hospitality and encouraging people in their marriages and obeying your leaders. Secondary to faith, hope, and love being wrought out of a gospel-driven, gospel-informed heart and mind. So let's keep these priorities. Let's understand what's happening here. And this morning I want to look at the particular first one that's mentioned in verse 22, which is this assurance of faith. And I want us to understand it in this way. If we can, maybe this, I'm hoping this picture will help us. This morning, 
This pastor is wanting to exhort this congregation. Notice verse 22. Draw near with a true heart and a full assurance. My prayer this morning, let me go ahead and tell you, is that we will, we will want to draw near to God this morning. That we will have more of a longing to draw near to God this morning. That's my prayer. That's my want. So let me hopefully paint this picture and help us understand this in this way. Imagine your heart as a seed. And that seed's in the ground. Okay, I'm going to get to the outline. I'm coming. Okay, it's coming right after this. The seed's in the ground, and it's being watered by the Holy Spirit. And all of us have seen these seeds in the very beginning stages of germination, where it splits open, and that little green plant comes out of that, that, that bean or that seed of sorts. Our heart being watered by the Holy Spirit, that first sprout that pops out when our hearts split open with the Holy Spirit being poured upon it, that first sprout, I want to suggest, is the, is the, the first thing out of the chute when the Holy Spirit waters our heart is that we want to draw near to our God. We want to come close to Jesus. We want to approach our God whom we've been delivered from sin and Satan, and we want to come close to our God. So the first expression of faith is this drawing near to God, this wanting to be near God. And all of us know it's true. Those of us who know the Holy Spirit's work in our life, what's the first thing the Holy Spirit does when He comes and works in our heart and that seed of our heart, and it, and it begins, begins the work, the Holy Spirit, what is it first thing the Holy Spirit does? Is it draws us to our God. Now let me make this claim as well. Maybe this will help us. This morning, I'm going to be talking about prayer quite a bit. And the reason I'm going to be talking about prayer is because I believe that when one draws near to God, when one draws near, draws near to God, the first expression of that drawing near is prayer, is calling out to God, is a turning to God, is a looking to God. That's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit in our heart turns us to God. And the way he does that is through prayer. So this morning I want us to notice that when we look at this passage here in verse 22 and it says drawing near with a true heart, I realize that drawing near is more than prayer often. Often, Drawing near to God is more than prayer. But drawing near to God is never less than prayer. Did you get that? It's often more than our prayers, this drawing near to God. But it's never less than our prayers. It is, it is always in, imbibed with prayer, this drawing near to God, this calling out to God, this, this wanting of God. It is, it is fostered and surrounded by prayer. And so we find this morning in this exhortation to draw near. This isn't the first time that this pastor has called this church to do this. In Hebrews chapter 4, you don't have to turn there because you'll recognize this passage. Hebrews 4.16, it says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16, that we may receive mercy and find grace to, listen, help us. To help us in our time of need. So the question I have for you this morning is, are you in need? 
Are you in need? I've said this before. Many that have been here for a while know I'm getting ready to go here. The measure of how much you needed God yesterday is exactly equal to the amount that you prayed yesterday. No more, no less. You see, the problem with our prayer life isn't that we don't have time or that we're too busy or that this or that that or all the other excuses we have concerning our prayer life. The problem with our prayer life is that we don't see our need as being God. To the degree that you needed God is exactly the same amount by which you prayed. In other words, your prayer life is a perfect measuring stick for your need for God. And so this morning, as I am challenging and exhorting you, as this pastor was, to draw near to God, I'm challenging and exhorting you this morning to acknowledge that your need is God. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. To help in our time of need. And so this morning, I want us to notice this drawing near to God in two particular ways, two particular aspects, two aspects of this drawing near to God. The first is the manner of our approach. And the second is the need for our approach. Number one, point number one of our message, the manner of our approach. And point number two, the need for our approach. How are we to approach our God? How are we to approach our God? Well, we see here in verse 22, it says, let us draw near. How? How are we to approach our God? First, with a true heart. And then second, in full assurance of faith. Do you see that there? The manner of our approach to God is first with a true heart and second with full assurance of faith. You see, the Hebrews author says back in Hebrews 7.25, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. He's able to save to the uttermost who? Those who draw near to God. Those who draw near to God are saved to the uttermost. In other words, Christ is sufficient. God is enough. Now, why do I say that? Because that's exactly what's being meant here in verse 22 when it says, Let us then draw near with a true heart. That idea is a heart that's not divided. A heart that's not um, fake, but a heart that is devoted and real. A true heart. You see, when we draw near to God, when we finally come to the point where we're drawing near to God, we are saying... God, you are enough. I fear that we don't draw near to God enough because we so often think that there's other things that can help us in any particular given need that we have. In other words, our hearts are divided. We feel or we think, you know what, I'm going to try this and see if it works. And I'll try this and see if it works. I'll try this and see if it works. And at the end of the day, we forget that at the, end, at the heart of it all, God is enough. We're, often too, we're, all, we're too often convinced that God is not enough, that He's not sufficient for our every longing. It may be that circumstances and situations in your life may be bigger than the circumstances and situations. It may be that God's trying to get more of your heart. 
convince you that he's enough, even in the midst of the chaos and the craziness. You see, a divided heart only goes to God at last resort. A divided heart, an untrue heart, is going to go to God when it says, you know what, I need this situation in my life fixed. And if God can do it, great, I'll let you do it, God. But if you can't, or something else can quicker and more expediently, and by the way, with less discipline in my life, then I'm going to, I'm going to go that route and do that thing. God's wanting us to have a true heart. A heart that comes to Him undivided, devoted, and seeking Him. Every circumstance in our life, we come to the Lord and say, Lord, this is about You. This is about Your glory. How can I glorify You in this situation? A true heart is reflected by a psalm that was actually prayed this morning, as Susan prayed. This is a true heart that's drawing near to God. Listen, Psalm 73, verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and listen to this last part, and my portion. That's a true heart. That's desiring to draw near to God. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing, did you hear that? Nothing on earth that I desire besides you. Now, that doesn't mean that the person locks himself away in a room by himself outside of any contact with any of the world. But it means that out of everything he's seen in the world, there's nothing that he wants more than his God in the midst of this world. If I can convince my heart of anything every week, And if I can help you convince your heart of anything every week, every day, honestly, every moment, is that Jesus is enough. He can satisfy your soul. There is great joy in the one who says, there is nothing on earth that I desire besides God. There is great joy and rest and stability That true heart is a satisfied heart because that person in Christ has all of God and all of his blessings. A true heart. The manner by which we approach God, first and foremost, is with a true heart. Secondly, with a sure faith. A sure faith. Notice what this mentions here in verse uh, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart. And then secondly, in full assurance of faith. Now, so often we have this picture of this idea, and it may be because of the world's influence, that faith is this dark room that you just kind of jump into and hope it's going to all work out. It's a divine optimism. It's presumption at best. It's this wishful thinking that things will be okay. That doesn't sound like verse 22 when it says, in a full assurance of faith. That doesn't sound right if that's what that is, right? That's not the kind of faith that Abraham had. You see, our faith is a jump in the dark if our faith is in our feelings and what we're doing and what we're about 
and what we can control, if your faith is in that, then there's good reason for it to be shaky. There's real good reason. In fact, that, that feeling of fear and anxiety is appropriate. But in this case, this faith is in, notice verse 19, since we have confidence in our holy place by the blood of Jesus. You see, this faith has an object. This object is outside of this person. This pastor is encouraging them to have a full assurance of faith, not wishful thinking, not a, a humanistic optimism, not, you know what, it's going to be a good day because I'm going to, I'm going to choose for it to be a good day. That's, that's, the, that's the humanistic optimism there. This day is the Lord's day, and I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. That's something different, isn't it? Because God is the one who is the one stabilizing this faith. Let me read to you Abraham's faith, and you tell me if you think it's a wishful thinking jumping into a dark room. Romans 4.19 He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God. Verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. See, that's a full assurance of faith. He's not saying, you know what, things are going to work out. They just always do. He's saying God is going to be true to his promise. I can't see it. I don't know where it is. My life is upside down right now. But God's going to be true to his promise, and I can trust that. He was fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. It's the same kind of full assurance of faith that Paul goes on and talks about in Romans 8 that Joel actually read. We, don't work, we didn't work this out. It's just amazing how these are the texts that are in my passage this morning. Romans 8, 38, for I am sure. Do you hear that? Romans 8, 38, Paul says, I am sure. He is sure of something. What is that that he is sure of? I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth or anything else in all creation. Now, is your problem in that? It is, isn't it? It's right there in the middle of all of that. Let's not belittle the things that are going on in your life. They are real And they are the real things that God's put in your life to shape you and make you into a person who has full assurance of faith and has a true heart drawing near to God. Those are real things. Let's not belittle it, but let's also know that our God's bigger than those things. I am sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, that's a true heart, isn't it? He's saying, my end is to have the love of God. If I can get on the other side of this thing called life, if I can breathe my last breath on this earth and say, I want to be with my God because I love Him and I've been pursuing Him with my life, it's a true heart with full assurance of faith. That was Paul's desire. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. And if nothing can separate us from the love of God, it will be okay. That isn't optimistic, humanistic, wishful thinking. It will be okay because God is enough. He is sufficient. Turn over with me 
Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Tell me if you think this is a, a type of faith that's a jumping into a dark room. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That doesn't sound like a, an emotional wanting, does it? That doesn't sound like a wishful thinking. That doesn't sound like optimism. It sounds like this guy, this pastor, is rooting his faith in something that is sure. He's rooting it in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And the fact that he's on the right hand of the Father right now, interceding for us on our behalf according to Hebrews chapter 9. So the manner of our drawing near to God is with a true heart and with a sure faith. Could it be could it be that our prayer lives are what they are because we're not convinced that God will satisfy? That there's other things that may be able to satisfy us. Could it be our hearts are not true? That we don't go to God first and say, Lord, it is you that I'm wanting to see in the midst of this, first and foremost. There's other things that need to happen, Lord. There's other situations. There's other things, Lord, I'm going to bring to you. But at the end of the day, you're trying to make me trust you. Lord, I want to do that. So in our prayer lives, again, the strong near to God is more than prayer. But it's never less than prayer, okay? So it's drawing near to God. Let us, let us have true hearts. A full assurance of faith. A full assurance of faith. Now, secondly, I want us to see the need for this approach. What is needed for us to be able to approach our God? Now, I've got good news for us this morning. Notice the two things that are needed in order for us to approach our God. Verse 22, we see two things that we need in order to approach our God, and it is this. With our heart sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, that's the first thing we need in order to approach God. We need our hearts sprinkled clean. We need a pure conscience before God. And we need our bodies washed with pure water. Those are the two things. We need a clean conscience, and we need our bodies washed. Notice with me in verse 22, and I want you to get this, and then I'm going to say it again at the end of this. This says, and the way it works is actually in a perfect, it's a perfect tense verb. And it says this, with our hearts having already been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies already having been washed with pure water. That's the sense there. These are things that have already happened, already happened in Christ. Notice, for those who have faith. So what does this faith do? What does this faith, this full assurance of faith, this true heart, drawing near to God with faith, what does this faith accomplished? It accomplished what we needed. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ, this full assurance of faith, that full assurance of faith will create what we need, and that is our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. We know that in Hebrews 10, 1, it says, For since the law has but a shadow of good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, 
It can never. These Old Testament rules and regulations could never, by the same sacrifices that continually was offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Those old sacrifices couldn't do it. So how can we, as people who want to draw near to God, how can we draw near to God? Our, heart, our consciences are evil, according to this passage. They need to be cleansed. Our, our, our lives are, need to be washed for they're stained. The good news this morning, friends, is that by faith you are cleansed. By faith you are washed. By faith in what Christ has done for you, you are sprinkled clean and you are washed with pure water. This clean conscience, if you notice chapter nine, chapter 9 of Hebrews, it's brought up over and over again. And specifically, the sprinkling. We find in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13, that um, the persons are sprinkled with the blood of bulls and goats. This is Hebrews 9.13. In Hebrews 9.19, the book is sprinkled with this blood and also the people. This is in the Old Testament. In Hebrews 9.21, it says, In the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in the worship. This is talking about that priest. So this blood being sprinkled was to somehow cleanse or purify the, ves- the, the, the vessels and the book and all these persons. But you know what the problem was? The problem is that our hearts weren't clean. <laughs> you see what our passage says in here in verse 22? It says that by faith our hearts are sprinkled clean. Our consciences, our evil consciences are purified, made whole, or cleansed. And so by faith, we have hearts that are sprinkled. This is not a ritual. This is not a ceremony. This is not a procedure. It is what God has accomplished for us in Christ. And this is absolutely necessary for us to approach God. It's for us to have our hearts sprinkled clean. We cannot approach our God with a heart that is evil and sinful. In Christ, by faith, we have a clean heart. Hebrews 9.13, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of the heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, of those things that are outside of us, verse 14, how much more, verse 14, Hebrews 9, will the blood of Christ who through eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify what? Our conscience from dead works in the serve of the living God. The blood of Christ is sufficient to cleanse us. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are sprinkled clean? That you are are clean before a holy God because of Christ's death on the cross? With full assurance of faith, my prayer is that you will approach and draw near to God. Because you can in Christ. The second thing is that our bodies are washed. Our bodies are washed. Verse 22, a lot of people want to take the idea here of this as being an inference to baptism. And in some ways it may be. There's a lot of reasons why I don't think it's best understood as that. I believe here what's being spoken of is what was read this morning in the Old Testament in Ecclesiastes 36 when it says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. Ezekiel 36, 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you. 
I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. I believe this passage, specifically at the end of verse 22, where it speaks of being washed by wash, your body being washed, is speaking of your body now being the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit coming and indwelling you in such a way that you have a heart that's now changed. Not only a heart that's cleansed, but a heart that's desiring the things of God. If you're sitting here this morning and you are regenerate, meaning that you are born again, meaning that you are trusting in Jesus Christ. Psalm 51 has been a psalm that you have said under your breath many times, hasn't it? Purge me, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Haven't you, in your hatred for the sin that's in your heart, gone to the Lord and said, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me? O God, do that. O God, I've tried, and I've tried, and I've tried, and I can't do that, Lord. I can't clean my heart. I've, I've, I've taken on that task and I can't do it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Has that been, has that been your prayer? That's been my prayer. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your willing spirit. It's been my prayer. Friends, this morning, In Christ, in Christ, God has created in us a clean heart. He has renewed a right spirit within us. He has not cast us away from his presence, but he's drawn us near by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he's restored us to the joy of our salvation. Do you believe it? Do you have full assurance that in Christ that is true? We're getting ready to sing a song. An old hymn that says, There is no sin that I have done that has such height and breadth. Listen, that it can't be washed by Jesus' blood or covered by his death. There is no spot that still remains, no cause to hide my face, for he has stooped and washed me clean and covered me. With his grace. And so this morning, I want to exhort you draw near to God. Draw near to God with a pure or with a true heart and the full assurance of faith, not in how you're feeling, not in what you can do, not in what you can bring to the table, in what Christ has done for you. Knowing that when you trust in Christ, when you place your faith in Christ, your heart has been sprinkled clean. Clean. Not better, not healthier, not helped, but clean. You are holy and blameless before God in the blood of Jesus Christ. And so do you see as we approach this table this morning, 
This has very little to do with what you can do. This table is going to be approached this morning, if approached rightly, by faith in what Christ has done for us, not in what we can do for Him. Right? And so this morning when you approach the table, I want you to approach it with a true heart. Acknowledging and affirming again in your own heart that it is Jesus that can satisfy. It is God who is enough. And by faith in what He's done, I am clean. There is no sin that I have done. He's washed me and He's cleansed me inside that I can stand before my God and rejoice in His presence. Brothers and sisters, let us draw near and let us pray.